you, Dana. Good to have you back. Good morning, church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. So if someone were to stop you on the street and say, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would you tell them? If you had a few seconds, just think about an elevator conversation. Someone stops you and says, Ron, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you don't have time to get your Bible out or your little track out or I didn't hear you. Well, that's a good, that, that's certainly the essence. I'm going to submit to you this, it's this. It means to follow Jesus. There's a lot to that, and we're going to unpack that the next few weeks. The book of Matthew is about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's one of the motifs that we find in Matthew's gospel is these teachings. Matthew has the most concise teachings of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And of all the gospels, he's got Matthew 5, 6, and 7, what we, what we affectionately call the Sermon on the Mount. But if it's prefaced in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says, As he was walking along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea since they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, a son of Zebedee and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. So being a Christian is nothing more and nothing less than following Jesus. So what does that look like? I think that's our problem. One is we don't understand that being a Christian means following Jesus. We think it has to do with keeping some kind of rules or principles. We think it's about denominations or baptism, and certainly baptism is an important uh, part of what it means to be a follower. We think it's about being in Bible study, and that's important to be in Bible study. And, but when you boil it right down, when you get to the heart of it, it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so right after Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him, we're told this. Now let's, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. But these verses uh, have been coined the Beatitudes because of the word blessed is used over and over again. There's eight steps here. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some, some Bible teaching here because these eight steps in these 12 verses are the framework for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus then expands upon each one of these and teaches us really what it looks like to live the Beatitudes. And so that's why Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are so germane 
to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let's read them together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying. So this is for disciples. It wasn't just for the crowd. It was it's for those people who had already decided that they were going to follow Jesus. It's for you and me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons or children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So each one of these, there's eight steps here. And each one of them has to do with two key words. One is the word blessed. And blessed means the kind of life that God offers. It's a blessed life. It's the the life God's way. It isn't just the blessings of material blessings or the blessings of health or the blessing of family. Those, Those things comes in some way part and parcel with the blessed life. But the blessed life is living life God's way. And he was, Jesus is saying on the front end here of his teachings, of this massive amount of teachings that he did in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying the blessed life leads to the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven means, and it, it's a phrase that only Matthew uses. He, the other gospel writers use the, the phrase the kingdom of heaven. But Matthew uses it 33 times to describe God's rule and reign in the world. And so he said, in order to live the blessed life that leads to the kingdom of heaven here on earth, it isn't just, it isn't just when you die. It's, uh, Jesus prayed in, the, in Matthew chapter 6, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he, Jesus is praying that heaven is lived here on earth. In other words, he left heaven and came to earth to bring heaven to us. You don't have to wait. You don't have to die to experience heaven. You just got to die to yourself. And when you die to self, then heaven is experienced here and now and in its fullest when you die physically and meet the Lord face to face. So there's two, there's two keys to this entire passage that we're going to unpack the next eight weeks. Each step. Now, the first step is you can't skip it. If you try to skip this step, you, won't, you, you, you can't take the rest of them. They are sequential. They're to be done in order. And they're not only sequential, but they're cyclical. So these are eight steps that you have to continually take as a follower of Jesus. 
It's really a path of discipleship. Now, when I became a Christian, and when I, at least when I professed faith when I was 11, and was baptized at, at First Baptist Church of Burnside, Kentucky, the pastor baptized me, and basically, here's what my church said to me, good luck, hope you make it. Nobody discipled me. Nobody took me under their wing and said, now they were, my, my Sunday school teacher was, 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 was helpful in it, uh, but he, he had not really been discipled either. He was a good man and, and taught me about the love of Christ, but uh, I mean, the community I lived in, the family I lived in taught me a lot of different things, but no one intentionally taught me what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. I, I caught a little bit of it, but I really didn't get it. And I dare say that most of us, if we were honest, when we became believers, when we decided to follow Jesus, when we joined the church or were baptized, nobody really discipled us. It's the Achilles heel of Baptist churches. Not just this church, but nearly every church. Part of what I do, what I did at Lifeway for 12 years, and before that, uh, seven years at the Kentucky Baptist Convention, was I equipped pastors, both in discipleship and evangelism. And one of the questions I would ask pastors, in fact, I'm going to have 16 here in uh, the associational office this week of uh, doing some equipping with them. I'll ask them a question. How many of you have been discipled by anybody about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And there'll be 16 people there, and I'll guarantee you there'll only be three or four that'll raise their hand. A pastors. So if pastors haven't been discipled, they don't know how to disciple people. And most of you have not been discipled. And then the next question is, if you have been discipled, who are you discipling? Are you discipling your own kids? Hmm? I mean, a lot of our kids know how to use an iPad. If you need your iPhone fixed, take it to a, a seven-year-old, right? I mean, my seven-year-old raced all the, the granddaughter raced all of her grandmother's pictures off her iPhone. <laughs> they don't know how they did it. She, she got on that. Well, anyway, but are you discipling anybody? Question. Have you been discipled? And if you have, what does it look like? And secondly, who are you discipling? Or is it all about you? So Jesus then, on the front end of this great book of Matthew, gives us a path of what, it, what a disciple looks like. The path a disciple is to take. And the first step is blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I want to I illustrate this for you, and I, I don't know if you can get this on camera. I'm going to move around a little bit, okay? I want the people watching to see. Discipleship in the kingdom of heaven is totally opposite of what the world teaches us. The first step is all the steps are downward. The first step is poor in spirit. It means to admit that you are spiritually, morally bankrupt before a holy God. It means that you look at yourself and you realize there's nothing good in me but Jesus. And each one of these steps is going to be a descending step. Each one. 
Now, here's what the world teaches. The world teaches that success looks like this. You're going to step up. You're going to get better. You're going to get bigger. You're going to get more prominent. You're going to have more power. Totally opposite of the kingdom of God. Totally. 100%. 180 degrees. And the people that I've known, pastors especially, I'm just going to talk about because that's, that's, that's what I am. The pastors who have gotten themselves in trouble and gotten their churches in trouble get the process totally flipped. I call them peacocks. When they get in the crowd, they want to put their feathers out and they want to show everybody what they got. You know, they want this long pedigree, you know. Who you know, where you've been, where you serve, what degrees you got. Well, I'm going to tell you, doing this a long time, I'm less and less and less impressed with what degrees people have. I'm less and less impressed with what boards or agencies or institutions you've been on. Could give a, don't care at all about it. What I want to know, and what you should want to know about your prospective pastor, and what he's going to want to know about you is how you doing following Jesus. Tell me about your walk. And here's where you start. You've got to start with him personally. You've got to start with him personally. And that's the same way with you. So when I talk to Dean, I want to know, and Ron, how you doing? How you doing in your walk? What's God been saying to you lately? You see, because you can't teach somebody something you don't know. I like to turkey hunt. I actually like to kill turkeys. That's the only thing my wife's really glad I killed. She said they're so ugly they ought to be killed. But, but uh, anyway, I'm being confessional here. But, but it, it, the guy that taught me was really good. He discipled me in how to call in a turkey. I mean, I know it's stupid. I mean, it's crazy stuff. But you can't teach somebody something you don't know how to do yourself. So part of our problem in the church is we haven't been discipled, and we aren't discipling anybody else. And we don't even know the path. Somebody said, well, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, you know, Lifeway had the, the, the five-point record system. You want to come to worship, you want to go to Bible study, you want to read your Bible, you want to give, and you, you want to study your lesson. If you did those, use, all, use in. Use a good Baptist. Jesus says, follow me. My struggle today, not just today, but the older I get, the uh, uh, the less I'm impressed with power and pomp and all that kind of stuff. My struggle this week, part of this, not just this week, but it's really been this week, is that why people in prominence live so badly, make such stupid decisions. It's a bit of my cynical side, but there's no one in prominence that I know of in the culture that I admire I mean, when the people in our capital are making 
decisions like they're making, you wonder what in the world is happening. And in part of it, and I'm convinced that part of this has to be laid at the feet of the church. That we, I, have not properly taught people what it means to be a Christian. Some people think being a Christian is being a Republican. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. There's other people think, no, no, if you're a Christian, you're going to be a Democrat. Some think, no, I'm going to be an independent or whatever. And they have more allegiance to a, to a political party than they do to Jesus Christ. Poor in spirit means that you acknowledge that you are spiritually, morally bankrupt. That you have absolutely nothing to offer God. Nothing. And when you get to that point, you are on your way to becoming a disciple. Now, that takes a long time. Because some of us are pretty full of ourselves. We want to tell you about ourselves. We want to pump ourselves up. We want to brag on ourselves. We want to uh, be, we want this over-under thing. We want to be over people, and we want people under us, and all that kind of stuff. But being a follower of Jesus means to admit you're poor in spirit. And poor in spirit is predicated on another word we don't like. It's the word repentance. It's an interesting Greek word. It's the word metanoia. Metanoia. It means to change your mind. Change your thinking. It means a change of direction. And it isn't just a one-time deal. I mean, it's, there, is a, there is a repentance that leads to salvation. And that comes when you acknowledge that you, you, you're a sinner, that you, you have no hope without Jesus, and you decide to follow Jesus. And many of us have done that. We could reach back to a time and past and somewhere. We were kids or teenagers or young adults or whenever it was. We can reach back to that. But there's also repentance that leads to sanctification, a big word. Sanctification means to become more like Jesus. It's what John the Baptist said when he met Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. It's this shedding yourself. It's it's less of me and more of him. There's this repentance, and that's really what Jesus is getting at on the Sermon on the Mount. The first step, he said, in order to be a follower is to admit that you are bankrupt. That's a hard one. It's a hard one for us because so many of us have faked faith for so long. That to get really real is frightening. We've given lip service to being a Christian. Our lip service is that we, we, we don't want to go to hell. Well, I'm going to tell you, I lived on the edge of hell for about five years, and I don't want to go there either. I don't want you to go there. But being a Christian is far more than avoiding hell. It's tasting heaven here and now. It's understand what it means to be forgiven and to be able to forgive. It means to have your life reconciled to the holy, righteous, creator God. It means to be a peacemaker. 
We're going to get to all of this when we get through these eight steps. Each one of these really is a, uh, it's a, it's an expansion on this first step. And the first step is one you have to take over and over and over and over again. It is cyclical. You have to come back to admitting that you're pure in spirit. A lot of times when the fight breaks out at home, at work, or church, it's when we don't walk the path. It's about us. Now, I'm proud to be an American most days. I haven't been real proud this week, honestly. I've been aghast. I just, I, I just, I'm still stunned. But one of the downsides of being an American is people embracing their personal rights my way. I want my rights. And this thing has so disintegrated down to not only I want my rights, but listen, I don't I, I want to live any way I want to live. And I'm going to define what is right for me. There are no mores, there are no moral standards, there is no plumb line. I'm going to live, it doesn't matter. I don't care what the Bible says about family. I'm going to live however way I want to live. I don't care what the Bible says about uh, uh, sexuality. I'm going to live however way I want to live. I don't care what the Bible says about ethics. I'm going to treat people. I'm going to get mine. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm burdened this morning, you can tell. I'm burdened over the fact that we, the preachers, the pastors of, of, of churches across America, we are, we are reaping what we have sown, which is shallow, superficial Christianity. The only way it's going to change is start, it has to start with me. It has to start with you. Eastwood Baptist Church is called to make disciples. It is called to call people to follow Jesus. Nobody else. You see, part of what happens in the church is we, we, we want the preachers, we want people to follow us. Well, that's not what Jesus said. You see, when I start reading the Bible and I think, well, I'm going to find some people to follow. And so I look in the Old Testament, I look at Abraham. Well, Abraham lied. I look at Jacob. He deceived. I look at David. He was a murderer. Had blood all over his hands. I look in the New Testament, and Peter denied Jesus, one of the people, early, one of the people Jesus called early to follow. And then I, I, read, I read Paul, and, and Paul persecuted the church. Listen, there's only one person that I'm called to follow, and listen, church, his name is Jesus. It's not a, it's not a political party. It's not a constitutional allegiance. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with any of that, but my allegiance, I'm telling you, is to Jesus Christ. Hello. And anything else is the ground for repentance. If you're following anybody else, listen to all, you know, some of you need to get off of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. You need to get off that stuff. You need to quit believing a lot of that stuff. Hello. 
and, and what if you just got off that stuff in the next few weeks you read the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, my word. Huh? Silence. What does it mean to be a Christian? Follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's this step downward. I'm going to admit that I'm bankrupt. That I have nothing to offer God. And that I'm a sinner without exception and without excuse. I'm telling you, there's people all around us that are empty, hurting, dying and going to hell. And you're all, and we're more interested in ourselves. Poor in spirit means to take that first step that is a continual step, that poor in spirit of repentance. Poor in spirit is, is predicated on, on repentance. It's an acknowledgement that my way of living is not working. And there's a better way, the way of Christ. It's something required of every citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And listen, it is your responsibility. I mean, there are people, there are preachers that believe that that, that God's only got so many people out there going to be saved and they don't have a choice in it. Repentance is a choice. God doesn't impose repentance upon anybody. He called Simon, Peter, and James, and John to follow him, and and, and they did. But it was their choice. And anybody tells you differently, you need to run. Repentance is your choice. It's your piece of salvation. God's already done. He's already provided salvation for us. He did it through the supernatural birth of Jesus. He did it through the sinless death. He did it for the sacrificial, uh, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and is the glorious news that Jesus is alive. But repentance is our peace. And some of us, there's a point in time when we repented, but we haven't repented in years. I mean, some of us, we're hoping that our new pastor will take us back to the 80s. If the 80s come back, we're ready. Most Baptist churches are ready for the 80s, but we're not ready for the 90s. I mean, I tell some churches it'd be nice to join the 20th century, and they go, it's the 21st. I said, yeah, it'd be good if you just got to the 20th. You think I'm kidding. That's not, I'm not kidding. Some of us are stuck someplace in our minds, and part of our repentance is we need to commit ourselves to be on journey with Jesus where we are, when we are. Every now and then a church needs to ask the question, what year is it? And look around. And where are we? Who's around us? Who lives around us? You see, my, my prayer, my prayer during the week for you as I prepare these messages is God get us ready for what's coming. I don't know of a church. Bowling Green itself is one of the best places in Kentucky to live. Amen? I mean, it's okay to say amen. Nobody's even going to think you're Pentecostal if you said that. I mean, it's all right. I mean, really, it is. Bowling Green's a great place to live, right? Right? 
Right, Ron? I mean, Ron's trying to make me a Western Kentucky fan here. I mean, you know, he, he, he believes in Bowling Green. Your church is in one of the best situations to grow of any church I know of. So, guess what's coming? Not the past. What's coming is, is what God wants to do. And the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to let go and let God? We want to pray over this search team. I, I don't know any of them, but God knows them. For their anointing and that they'll get to a point where that divine intersection happens, where God's man and, and when they're ready. But I'm telling you, it's predicated on this whole issue of repentance. Being willing to repent. I mean, I mean, I tell you what repentance is. Repentance is acknowledgement of the king. Jesus said that blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom has a king. And the king is Jesus. Acknowledgement of the king. And when you acknowledge the king, he has he has a way of living that only comes from him. So being a follower of Jesus is more becoming more and more and more like Jesus. I'm reading through the book of John and in chapter 15 this week where he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And no one bears fruit except through me. The vine means that, that he's the source of life. And we, uh, branches are grafted into the vine. We're part of the vine. And in order to bear fruit, we have to allow him to live in us. And that's what it means to be a disciple. I'm excited for you because I see what's coming. God's given me some I don't, I don't, visions are not right, but glimpses of what's going to happen at Eastwood Baptist Church if you will let him. But in order for it to happen, you've you got to get ready. As the passage that Dana shared, my people who are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, I will hear from heaven. God is ready. The question are, are you? The question is, are you? Repentance is an acknowledgement of the king. And the king has a way of life that he wants us, each of us to live in. Blessed. Let's just say it together. Let, let's say this, this verse out loud and we'll end. Blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That's my prayer for us and for you as a church as we stand to our feet as we pray together. Lord, uh, grieve over things in the culture. But Lord, I, I realize a lot of it has to be laid at the feet of the church in the 20th century. That we were so caught up in growing 
our own kingdoms and have not made disciples. And so I I pray for the pastor that's on his way, Lord. I pray that he'll be a person poor in spirit, a person that walks the way of discipleship. Lord, help each of us to be willing to admit that we are poor in spirit, that we have nothing without you. Lord, help us as a church to get ready for what's coming, for the good things, for the impact, the influence, the footprint that's going to expand of Eastwood Baptist Church in the days ahead. And may we be people that are ready and willing to follow you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.